Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly, and we have a special guest today. It is one of my best friends, Ashley. Say hi. Hello. So Ashley is also a true crime fanatic. She listens to shows like Morbid. What else do you listen to? Uh, Reverie True Crime is a new one that I've been into, and uh, Generation Y is another one of my favorites. Nice. I'll have to check those out because I haven't heard of those. But yeah. yeah. So uh, just fair warning, there's like seven kids downstairs. Um, there's a very good chance we're going to get interrupted. And if that happens, we're just going to deal with it because this is called mama mystery, not single person with no kids mystery. So here we go. Today, we are talking about Susan Smith. This case was recommended to me by one of our listeners. So thank you so much for that, Tiffany. I love getting recommendations from you guys. I really appreciate the engagement, so send them my way. All right, so Susan Lee Vaughn was born September 26, 1971, in Union, South Carolina, to her parents, Linda and Harry Vaughn. She was their only daughter. Her mom was a stay-at-home mom, and her dad was a firefighter. When Susan's mom met, I'm sorry, when Susan's parents met in 1960, they were pretty young. Mom Linda was only 17, but she was actually pregnant with another man's baby at the time. And Harry was only 20 years old. So they ended up getting married before Linda gave birth to the baby. What? That wasn't even Harry's. That's (laughs) all right. And they named him Michael. And then they ended up having Susan in 1971, and then another boy named Scott after that. So growing up, her parents were often pretty violent with one another. Apparently, her father was an alcoholic and would become so enraged that he would threaten to kill Linda and himself more than once. So the kids lived in constant fear of what might happen to their parents and them. And I'm pointing this all out because the common themes in these episodes is that most of these stories start out with a less than ideal childhood, and Susan Smith's case case is no different. And I'm not saying it's an excuse. I feel like I always have to say that. It's not an excuse. Yeah, but I always think it still makes you feel bad for the child. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we, you hear a lot in like the true crime world is it doesn't excuse the behavior as an adult, but for the children, right? nobody should have to go through that, especially children. So it's, and then it's also one of those things where in this, you know, growing up in the seventies, it was just a different kind of living, like a way of life. And Mm -hmm. so now I think about, um, like, like domestic abuse in situations is so much like easier. It's not easier to get out of, but you can, there's more access to help. Whereas before you didn't have the internet, you didn't have, you know, modes of like, getting away so you're trapped as a wife but then even as like the kids like that's what you grow up thinking oh this is what a father looks like this is what a husband is and and I feel like even then divorce was still pretty taboo and so like I feel like for a lot of women or just you know couples um you know divorce wasn't really supported then so like families and especially super religious families would like really you know detest divorce and make you stay no matter what the situation. Well, in her things mom, are a lot different right, now. Wasn't off to like a great start. Yeah. She was knocked up with somebody else's baby and got married. So yeah. That, so these like, aren't good examples. Yeah. Just being trapped, like being trapped in a situation and feeling like, well, this is, you know, the situation that I'm in. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Susan was six years old, her parents finally decided to divorce. Susan's dad didn't take this very well. His drinking spiraled out of control, and about five weeks after the couple split, he tried to take his own life. And this story is super sad. Apparently, Linda and Harry got into a really big fight that night, and police were called. And Harry begged them to take him away because he was afraid of what he might do to Linda or himself. But the cops didn't take him for some reason, even though they witnessed him hitting Linda and breaking a window. 
So that night, Harry shot himself, but he didn't die right away. Oh, he ended no. up calling 911, and he was taken to the hospital where he later died while they tried to save him. Oh, my goodness. Horrible. And she was only six at the time. And, you know, like, God, that's so heartbreaking to, like, try to take your own life. And then the fact that he called 911, like, he was maybe trying to live is just kind of super right. sad. Well, they talk about, like, when people survive, like, jumping from, like, the Golden yes. Gate Bridge. the and instant they, regret. They jump, yeah. And so it makes you wonder if he just wasn't stuck in, like, a vicious cycle of, like, having mental health issues. Yeah. And... Yeah. And it's become a common theme throughout the whole story that there's a lot of like depression, suicidal tendencies, like mental illness throughout the whole family. Yeah. And I think too, it's one of those things where we always in maybe in true crime too, especially like there's always like this moral absolutism, right? That you, if you right, so if you're an abusive husband, then you are always bad Mm -hmm. and just, you know, but it doesn't warrant like a, a death sentence, right? That so it's it's one of those like really really sad situations, and then like on the flip side, like when people murder their kids, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, well, <laughs> some things are just <laughs> unforgivable. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's crazy, and this story continues to get more and tw- more twisted, and the web continues to grow. So we'll just keep going. So. This affected Susan very deeply, of course. Susan fell into a deep depression of her own, and people associated with Susan remember her as being just a very sad, disconnected girl. Her older brother also tried committing suicide at one point. So this whole family is just, like, riddled with trauma. That is except for Susan's mom, Linda, who almost instantly remarried when the divorce with Harry was finally finalized. What? She she married a man named Bev Russell. Beverly was his name, but they called him Bev. So Bev Russell owned his own appliance store and was an executive member on the South Carolina Republican Party Committee. And he was also a Christian coalition leader. So this guy was like quite the opposite of Harry in terms of financial success and like Mm. public leadership. He was considered a pillar in his community and had a lot of money and influence. So Susan's life kind of changed overnight in the sense that she went from like one extreme lifestyle to another. So we're going to fast forward about 10 years now. Susan is 16 and there's a story that alleges that Susan was laying on the couch one night with her stepdad and uh, she fell asleep with her head on his lap. And when she woke up, Bev was fondling her breast and genitals and she pretended to be asleep while this was going on. Like it woke her up, but she pretended that she was still asleep. Um, And this obviously bothered her so much so that she did file a complaint through the Department of Social Services, although no charges were ever actually filed. And she told her mom and guidance counselor about it. But again, no charges were ever filed. And she was how old? 16. She was, okay. Oh my God. So her mom kicked Bev out of the house. Apparently some deal was made with Susan and the details of this deal were never made public. And eventually Susan's mom, after like some agreed upon counseling, allowed Bev to move back into the house. And unfortunately, Susan was chastised by her family for coming out about this affair and bringing it to public light. And Linda, her mom, seemed way more concerned with how this would affect their reputation rather than how it would affect her own daughter. And that, like, blows my mind. Every time I hear something like that, it's actually pretty common, which just blows me away. If if someone laid a hand on my daughter, I would be in jail. Yeah, absolutely. And... But they, like, she kicked him out. That, yeah. That's the other thing. It's it's one thing to say, to totally deny it from the beginning, right? To mm-hmm. say, nope, it, you know, your well, your child is lying, which I would never, ever believe that. Um, even if they were, you would still go because yeah. I would just try, I would just take yes. their word for it. Period. Yeah, you can't like, risk that. Yeah. But to kick them out and then go through therapy yeah. to take them back. It's like, that's kind of like reverse therapy. I feel like that's, right. not the, that's not where you were supposed to get. Right. Yeah. Is that wrong? Like, I feel like what therapist in their mind is like, Oh, well, yeah. Let's do a husband, couple sessions. Yeah. Molested your daughter. Now let's bring him back into your home with your other children. Right. Yeah. Cause at this, so she's the middle child Yeah, of two brothers. So she still has a younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yep. So 
In high school, Susan was very successful. She was involved in a lot of clubs. She was a member of the National Honor Society, voted friendliest female by her classmates. She volunteered at a hospital and with the Special Olympics. She was voted the president of the Junior Civitan Club, which is like a volunteer group. On paper, this girl had it all, but deep down, she was still struggling with demons that weren't being appropriately treated, and depression still weighed heavy on Susan, but like many people with mental illness, especially depression, a lot of people can, like, put on a brave face when they need to, like, I mean, I know there's days when I'm having a bad day, and if I'm at work, like, I put on a totally different face, because that's just, I guess, just what you do, like, yeah, I say that, and I, like, say it, you know, like, oh, I don't know if I should say this, but... I mean, yeah, sometimes I just, I don't know if I was, like, trained to do that. I don't know. Well, Why I think in a that? sense, uh, you're, you know, in society, there's a lot of that, like, fake it till you make it stuff. Yes. But also, like, having emotions and, like, the, hu- like, the human complex in, in our economy doesn't necessarily work. Like, having a bad attitude mm-hmm. in a business setting is not great. Um but also at the same time, this was how this was a few decades ago, right? Mm-hmm. So it also struggling with depression at sixteen, seventeen mm-hmm. in the seventies or eighties, right? It's not like there was a lot of help out there, right? Especially for kids, I feel like they're gonna, and especially girls, right? You're gonna say, well, it's just hormones, right? Right. They're sad, or they're gonna chalk it up to something. Especially looking at like her resume, where she's got all of these other things that validate that she's doing well, mm-hmm. right? And even her classmates voted her the, the friendliest person, which to me just totally blows my mind. But mm-hmm. I know, because you know. Yeah, because <laughs> you already know. <laughs> Yikes. So um, while juggling a successful school career, Susan also worked at the Winn-Dixie, which is a grocery store for those of you non-Southerners. I'm not a Southerner. I didn't know what it was. I had to look it up. But mm-hmm. it's apparently a popular uh, grocery store. So she started out as a cashier and worked her way up to the store's bookkeeper. And while she was working at the WD, she became involved with a married man and got pregnant and then had an abortion. At the same time, she was dating another coworker. Oh, no. And when her other boyfriend, the married one, found out about this, he broke things off with Susan. So funny how that works. He can be married, but she can't have another. (laughs) No. Hmm. And she's still a kid? She's 16 still. Oh, yeah. no. 16, 17. She's oh, in her, like, no. uh, junior or senior year of high yeah. school, yeah, at this point. Oh, great. So he's a man, man. also at this point, So because yeah. he's married, yeah. which is also an issue, right? Exactly, yes. Like, the, the issues with the men started very early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe, pop, pop, you know, not, no, I'm not going to go there because I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trained at all. So, yeah, never mind. <laughs> we have some daddy issues. Yeah. We've got some daddy issues starting. Okay, so this breakup sent Susan into a deep depression, and she ended up trying to overdose on pills. But apparently these pills that she took, I can't remember the name. I was supposed to write this down, and I forgot. These pills were not pills that you could overdose on. It was kind of like overdosing on, like, aspirin. You know, like it was... melatonin gummies. <laughs> Something like that. I'm just going to sleep forever. Sorry, that's not funny. Okay, I think... The rejection she felt from being dumped by the married man really triggered some of her issues that she had from growing up, like the suicide attempts by her brother, the suicide of her father, the abuse of her stepfather, all of this to say that it's probably safe to assume she had some serious dependency issues and insecurities and probably some serious trust issues when it came to men, because no man in her life at this point has given her anything that she can... Like, any kind of foundation, right, that no, she can trust. not at all. And she probably has this, like, this sense that she is mature because of all the things that she's gone mm-hmm. through. Um, and but then, she probably gives that and then off. And she has this other married guy who's going to tell her that, right? Like, he's going he's gonna to say, yeah, you're so mature for your age. Oh, yeah. In reality, we all know that, that like, that is not how it is, right? Like, you so are not mature for your age at 16, he is just scary and stay away. Stay away. Stay abort, away if you're abort. listening. <laughs> so now it's 1989 and Susan is a senior in high school, still working at the Winn-Dixie when she meets another coworker, David Smith. David actually had a fiance at the time, but I don't think that's ever mattered to Susan in the past. So it didn't stop her from pursuing him. 
And ultimately, after having a sexual relationship with Susan, David finally broke up with his fiance so that he could be with Susan. So the seriousness of David and Susan's relationship was really debatable in the beginning. Susan, I think, thought that the relationship was way bigger than it was. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I think she, and I'm just going to say this, she had very grandiose ideas of like what relationships really were. You know, like there was a big disconnect between reality and fantasy in her mind, I think. So meanwhile... David was not taking it very seriously and admittedly was a bit of a player. And he's an 18-year-old boy, so I don't find that all that surprising that he's, like, not taking a relationship seriously. Um, Not to say that that's not disrespectful. It's super disrespectful, but, you know... Yeah, but if Obviously you're, there are if two you're different screwing pages. around on your fiancé, like you're not taking yeah. that relationship seriously. True. You're probably not going to take the relationship with the booty call yeah. that much more seriously, right? Yeah. Yeah. If he'll do it with you, he'll do it to you. Yep. That's a Dr. Phil quote. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some mustache Dr. Phil. So in 1991, Susan ends up pregnant. They decided to keep the baby and get married, but Susan wasn't super excited about this. She felt like her whole future and life had been just a bit derailed. None of this was really what she had planned, and she had a hard time accepting this as her new reality. Susan's mom, Linda, and um, her stepdad, Bev, were also not very happy about this, not only because she was young and unexpectedly pregnant, but because David was not a successful guy and neither was his family. So this was really going to kind of taunt their, uh, or taint, I guess, their, their image. Yeah, all about image, yikes. So something worth noting here is that Susan and David ended up getting married only 11 days after the death of David's brother. Not a great start to the marriage. Um, None of this is a great start to any marriage, but... Three months after they get married, David's dad attempted suicide, and Susan was the one who found him. Oh, no. I know. So it's just like one thing after another. So in October of 1991, Susan gives birth to their son, Michael. Their marriage at this point had a super rough start, and after having Michael, it obviously wasn't going to get any better. David was not getting along with Susan's mom, Linda, who was apparently super overbearing when it came to raising Michael, and she also would lend... Um, Susan money often. And I think Michael found that really like demeaning as a man that, you know, her parents were constantly billing them out, but Susan had a problem with spending money. Cause I think she had become accustomed to this lifestyle with Linda and Bev. Oh, sure. And like, couldn't yeah. reel it back. So that was another thing that their relationship like took a hit for. Um, so David and Susan still worked together. And at this point, Uh, David was Susan's boss, which created some serious issues. And I mean, it's hard enough to be in a marriage that's struggling, but now you've got to work with that person too. They probably have like no time to themselves as individuals. It's got to be so suffocating. Like when do you have a chance to have some peace when you're like living together and you're working together and you just freaking hate each other. Like, and you have kids. And you have kids. <laughs> so you and have you to. have kids. <laughs> so soon rumors of infidelity started to swirl on both sides and they'd often break up and get back together and this relationship was just toxic. So by 1992, they've both been having extramarital affairs, but Susan becomes pregnant, apparently with David's baby. So they make the choice to stay together and work on their marriage. But while Susan was pregnant, David David continued having affairs, and one of them was with someone they worked with at the Winn-Dixie. So in August of 1993, Susan gives birth to their son, Alex. And once again, David and Susan make the choice to stay together for the kids, but that lasted about three weeks. This time, David moves in with his grandmother, and Susan gets a new job as a bookkeeper at the largest employer in the area, Conso Products. Eventually, she was promoted to the executive secretary position for the president and CEO of Conso, J. Carey Finley. And how old are they? How old is she at this point? Is she like 21? So this is in, uh, let's see, 1993. So, yes, she's like 22. She's really young. So they're both still really young, right? Oh, yeah. They're still both really young. And they're acting even younger than their actual age. Like the constant getting back together, involving coworkers. It's just so much drama. Like the constant. Especially coworkers that you both work with. Yeah. And like, yeah. (laughs) It sounds like a middle middle school relationship is what it sounds like. 
So this promotion eventually led Susan to meet the CEO's son, Tom Finley. And in January of 1994, Susan and Tom began dating. But for whatever reason, Susan went back to David again for a few months. And naturally, this didn't last, and she ended up getting back with Tom. It's a very much back and forth thing. What drives me nuts is that they're like going, they're ping-ponging between a bunch of people. Like, how do you just keep doing that? With children. And there's children involved. Yeah, Yeah, it's not that they're just breaking up and then getting back together. Like, they're going with other people and then getting, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. Multiple times. It's obviously just crazy. And did they get divorced or were they? They did. Yeah, they got And then they would just get back together. Or they were, at least were separated. Right. But yeah, and then they just kept getting back together and then splitting up again. It's like, and the thing is, is it's so public. It's not even like this private thing that they're going through. It's so public. Yeah. I'm sure Bev loved that. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Old Bev. Gross. Anyway, so. Did anything ever, before we go out, did anything ever happen to him? Like, was he ever legally in trouble? Well. Are are you going to get to that later? I'll get to his involvement later. Okay. Because their relationship wasn't over at this point. I'll just say that. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Keep going. Sorry. So Tom and Susan date for a little while, but Susan seemed to think that the relationship was way more serious than Tom ever did. Are we shocked? No. And I just have to take a moment to recognize the fact that at no point in Susan's life has she ever had a st- stable, healthy relationship with a man. This woman did not seem to stand a chance when it came to dating or relationships. And I'm not saying it's her fault or anyone else's. It's just... This is not working out for her. (laughs) And on this level, I almost feel bad for her because she seems to want these relationships really badly, but becomes so devastated when they don't work out. Like her happiness very much depends on being with someone else. Sure. And like she finds her value in other men finding her valuable, which is super sad. If you, it's pitiful is what it is. Like when I say sad, I'm like, it's, it's sad and it's pathetic. Like now that we know where she is now, it's. Yeah. Well, and it, it's sick, like in a, in a way it's also like, it's sick, right? Because you're not, you don't actually love yourself. And yeah. so if you don't love yourself, you're going to attract, like you're going to attract people who are also not healthy. Mm-hmm. So even if she was, I mean, I'm going to say it like she probably was introduced to nice guys mm-hmm. and just was like, nah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was either like. The money or the prestige wasn't there. Oh my gosh, girl, just wait. <laughs> like oh, the, oh, the words you're saying oh, are like written in the future okay. here. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Yeah, it gets crazier. So when you consider everything she's been through in her life, her upbringing, the abuse of her father, the sexual abuse of her stepfather, the suicides, everything, like her concept of reality is very seriously flawed and her mental state has to be pretty fractured. Like, and I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. So one night Tom is having a hot tub, hot tub party at his house. And during this party, Susan kissed another man in the hot tub, which effectively severed her relationship with Tom, the CEO's son, the wealthy, nice guy. So it wasn't Tom (laughs) or David. It was another random person. No, it was some other dude in the freaking hot tub. And they're adults. They're adults. She's a mom. Yeah. She is a young mom. Okay. And she's dating this guy, like the CEO's son, who's going to be the heir to this, you know, manufacturing company, big time, biggest employer in the city. Like, come on, you really had your chance there. But anyway, Susan ended up writing Tom a letter, apologizing for what happened and hoping that they could be friends. But in the letter, you can tell she's still hopeful for the future. She says things like, I do hope that we will be able to date some and be together again someday. And Mm. who knows what the future holds for our relationship. And I mean, you can tell though, like this is her MO. She she gets with these guys. (laughs) She cheats on these guys and she's used to them taking her back or them in this, at least David, you know, she was, She's gotten away with it before. So she's probably used to like, this is just a blip. Like, we'll get past this. This is nothing. But no, Tom was like, He dropped her like a hot potato, huh? Tom responds the following day. (laughs) And this is October 18th of 1994. His typed letter, which I think is so funny. It's like typed and then he signed it at the end. Stop. It's like Like a a letter of resignation. (laughs) It's a letter of resignation to their relationship. (laughs) 
So his typed letter says a lot of little fluffy things like you're intelligent, beautiful, sensitive, and understanding. And you possess many wonderful qualities that I and many other men appreciate. He even says, I know, like you called this all this. online? No, this letter was, yeah, it, the whole oh, thing. Oh my goodness. I like picked she, out the best parts. So does she like keep this letter? Yes, and I'll oh. I'll tell you how it was found later because okay. it, it's involved later. Oh, this is nuts. So this is from the real letter. This is from the actual letter. He even says, quote, you will without a doubt make some lucky man a great wife, but unfortunately it won't be me. Yeah. Quote. See ya. Quote. <laughs> At this point, the fluffy stuff takes a turn when he says, quote, Susan, I could really fall for you, but like I have told you before, there are some things about you that aren't suited for me, and yes, I am speaking about your children. Oh, no. Dagger to the heart. Are you serious? That is so shitty. Like, you did not have to say that. It has nothing to do with her bad behavior. Like, don't blame her kids. Yes. Blame her, like, making out with some other rando in your hot tub. So he does. He goes on to call her boy crazy, and then he says, quote, if you want want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl. And you know, nice girls don't sleep with married men. End quote. It's like, ooh. I mean, he's kind of right. Like, oh God, that had to hurt. That had to hurt. Like, I'm sure it's, I'm not saying he's wrong, but oh my God, if I got that letter from someone that I was so in love with, oof, oof, that would hurt. That would hurt in so many ways. From starting out with like, you're so intelligent and sweet and you possess all these great qualities that I could have loved if you weren't, you know, born from white trash and have children from a marriage that didn't work out. Like, cause that's essentially what he says too. He's like, our circumstances are totally different. And the way he was raised was so different from the way she well, was raised. And, and he also is like, whether or not he would admit it, cause he probably wouldn't cause of egos. He's hurt. Oh, right? I'm sure. I'm so sure. He's going to like twist where it hurts the most. Yeah. Right? So he's going to bring up... Misery loves company. Like, don't, don't bring up stuff you cannot change, right? right? Like, as a person. Like, okay, well, she can't change that she's a mom. She can't change that she grew up, you know, poor. Mm-hmm. She can change that, you know, she's a she's a little slutty, but... <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, so he... But I feel like that's what he did. He said... Yeah. All of these things that are really great about you, which honestly are things that, like, will change over time, that mm-hmm. you're beautiful, you know, and you're intelligent. Like, well, yeah. Um, but the bad stuff, I feel like... Like, all he said was, well, you're boy crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to say things like, if you want to catch a ni- nice guy like me, you have to act like a nice girl. Yeah, that is so boy. condescending. Yeah. And belittling. And so, like, I'm not, and you, I've never even been to the South. Missouri's as far South as I've gone. <laughs> but that is, like, some Southern shit. I feel yeah. like that is. Like some elitist yeah, bullshit. Yeah, so you guys yeah. can write in and say that I'm wrong because I have Just absolutely no idea oh. what I'm talking about. But from, like, Hollywood portrayal, if I'm thinking, like, it's a very, like, old Southern mentality to have that. Yeah, like, like keep sweet. Be, yeah. be sweet. Be a nice, quiet girl. Ugh. Be pretty and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so after getting this letter, Susan told a friend that she had never felt so alone in her life. One of her coworkers remembered her even saying, I wonder what life would be like if I didn't have kids. She was spiraling into a deep depression and in the meantime tried to find solace in, keep, or in sleeping with David again. She also allegedly had an inappropriate relationship with Tom's father, the CEO of Conso, And she also admitted to sleeping with her stepfather, Bev, again. What? The way she was choosing to cope was by getting in bed with a variety of people so she wouldn't have to be alone, I guess. Oh, and she was was just, like, sick. Like, she was definitely just... She never, ever healed from, like, the sexual Mm -mm. abuse of being a child. Ever. Like, Mm -hmm. that, to me, is very evident. Yeah. And so, I feel like, as a child being molested... She sought validation the only way that she knew how, which would have been through, okay, I'm going to get good grades and I'm going to be a people pleaser and I'm going to be mature, you know, and then Mm -hmm. also I'm going to use my body to get people to love me because Mm -hmm. that's really what she wants. What she wants is somebody, maybe, I shouldn't speak for her, but what I would say is that like, that's what I would want, right? Like I would just want somebody to love me, like, but purely for me and you know, when you're sick like that, I feel like, I mean, she's got, she has like 
Serious trauma. Serious trauma. Yeah. Very serious. So she's sleeping with her ex-husband, mm-hmm. her ex-boyfriend's dad. Mm-hmm. Or she said that anyway. And her stepdad. And her stepdad. Yeah. Within <sighs> like the week apparently yeah. that this happened. While she has her children still. Yeah. 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 Okay. And she's, you know, obviously struggling with the rejection of the one man she really wanted to be with. And yeah, I mean, she she kind of like dug her own grave there because she kissed another guy. Like, you can't be unfaithful and expect, you know, this guy. Like, you guys are just dating. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's just her, her like I said before, like her concept of reality is just very, very seriously flawed. So on October 25th, seven days after Tom gave her that letter, Susan was beginning to unravel at work. She was obsessing over the letter that Tom sent, and she was not handling the rejection well at all. As the day progressed, she became more and more emotional, so she asked her boss if she could leave early. She picked up her kids from daycare and brought them to a local tavern that apparently her and like a lot of coworkers and friends kind of frequented mm-hmm. so that she could talk to one of her friends there about Tom. And apparently, in an attempt to garner sympathy from Tom, she told him about the affair she was having with his dad and that she'd also been sleeping with her stepdad. She told him that um, she told him that David, her ex, was threatening to bring all of this up in court during their divorce, like in an attempt to embarrass her. So she was venting this to this friend that she was worried about Tom's reaction because it, apparently it backfired, as I mean, I would expect it to. Yeah. <laughs> If she goes and she's like, listen, there's all these other things I'm worried about, like me sleeping with your dad and my ex and my stepdad. He's probably just like, what the fuck? Listen, you got to go. You need to go. I signed my typewriter letters. Yes. Yeah, she is like, she sounds absolutely delusional. She's losing it. Yeah, big time. So then Susan went back to Conso with her kids in tow and asked a coworker if she would watch the kids for a minute so she could go into Tom's office to let him know that she lied about the story about her and his dad. So like mm. whether the story is true or not, I don't even know. Cause she's saying that she said it, but then she's saying she lied about it. And I'm like, are you saying you lied? Cause it backfired or and like, was, was it ever it really verified? True? Yeah. Did, did you find, did you Mm-mm. see? Yeah. No. Mm. And honestly, the information on this case is kind of hard to find unless you actually buy the books about the case. Sure. It's odd that there's not just more info on the internet, but anyway, According to this friend, Tom was quick to get her out of his office. He wanted, (laughs) she almost spit out her drink. He was quick to get her out of his office. I kind of imagined the same thing. (laughs) Just this guy like, get the fuck out of here, crazy lady. Like the big, like giant, like Wall Street, like white glass, like shooing, like, you know, this like. She was just at the tavern, right? So she's yeah. probably a little bit like loosey goosey. Yeah, she's definitely a mess. Total so mess. She's probably just like a blubbering fool. And yeah, he's like listen, <laughs> not here, not <laughs> oh, now, Susan. Gosh. <laughs> Get this out of here. You're scaring the kids. And she's worried about being embarrassing, but she just keeps doing things that are like that are going to cause her embarrassment. Right? Yeah, just. I mean, it's just like the desperation is. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond. So. Um, Anyway, it was definitely over. So she took the boys home. She made them dinner and called a friend at that same tavern to ask if Tom was there or if he'd said anything about Susan. The friend confirmed that, yes, Tom had been there, but he did not say anything about Susan. Probably not anything good. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't want to know anyway. Right? So between 7.30 and 8 that night, she put her boys back in the car. She said she thought um, that a drive through the countryside would help her clear her head. She then stopped at a local Walmart Walmart to do a little shopping, and then after that, headed to a friend's house, but she never made it there. According to Susan, she was stopped at a stoplight when a black man broke into her car with a gun in hand and said, drive or I'll kill you. Mm. So Susan did what she was told. They drove around for a little bit away from downtown Union. She said he pressed the gun against her ribs, and the boys were in the back crying. They got near the entrance to a park to John D. Lake when he told her to stop and get out. She said she pleaded for her kids, but the man pushed her out and drove off. Susan says she then walked to the nearest house that she could find to call for help. The police immediately began investigating the case, and David rushed to be at Susan's side. By the next morning, news of the kidnapping engulfed the town and beyond, 
Everyone was searching for these kids. David and Susan were questioned relentlessly so the cops could gather leads to where the kids might be, but one of the bumps they ran into was Susan's description of the kidnapper. She said that he was, listen to this, she said that she that he was a black male, 30 to 40 years old, 5'9 to 6 feet tall, 175 pounds, with dark hair, dark eyes, and a medium build. So the cops recognized. Like every average dude ever. Yes. Like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's like, the, really... like a Sim demo. You know, like the Sims <laughs> yes. game. Like, that's what she just built for the cops. Like, the guy is just like, the sketch artist is like. <laughs> the sketch artist said it took him half the time it normally takes. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, here's your generic dude. Here's your generic like, black dude, features. I guess. Like, what the? Okay. Well, and I'm sure it's one of those things where, like, she's in the South and it's going to be, you know, she's going to create this story. Yeah. You know, like people do because, like, racism is just real mm-hmm. strong and she's going to use that to, yeah. you know, instill fear yes. into the community and people are going to And to make her. it so believable because yeah. you're making it so. Bullshit. Exactly. It's sick. It's really Especially sick. Especially when you find out yes. what happened. It angered like, a lot of people. F you. Yes. Like, that's, like, that kind of stuff just really pisses me off. Like, yes. Yeah. So anyways, okay. Yeah, a lot of people were super pissed. That's getting angry, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> oh, it's mm-hmm. just beginning. <laughs> now it's really starting to get dark. So the cops recognized that the description was super vague, but they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, these kids' lives are allegedly at stake, But on the other, if it's not true and they're searching for a man that doesn't exist but profiles a large part of the community, then that's really troubling as well because you're pissing off a lot of people by, like, basically villainizing this group, right? So Susan and David both started doing TV interviews almost immediately. And with that, people started questioning Susan's sincerity. She would appear to be crying, but she didn't shed any tears. And on the second day of the search... Susan took a lie detector test and failed. In an attempt to get a confession out of her, cops started placing blame on her and accused her of having something to do with their disappearance, but she maintained that she didn't and reportedly got really belligerent with the cops at that point. So they knew they had to back off if they wanted her to keep cooperating. So they called it like a chess match. So sure. yeah. Yeah, she was not... She's, they definitely had to tread carefully. So meanwhile, while the search went on, Susan and David stayed at Beverly and Linda's, Linda Russell's. At one point, Susan turned to David and said, listen, Tom Finley might come and see me. If he comes down, you can't get mad or anything. I don't want you two to get into a fight. Are you serious? Yes. To me, that'd be a huge red flag if huge I'm David. Huge red yeah. flag. I think you um, our children are missing. Somebody has kidnapped them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about your 17th boyfriend yeah. right now. Yeah. The fact that that's even uh-huh. on her mind is yeah. infuriating. Because at another point, she wore a sweatshirt that she had gotten from Tom during one of her camera on-camera interviews, almost as if like to send Tom a message through the TV. It was one of Tom's sweatshirts from his college, Auburn University. Are you serious? Yes. She's disgusting. So at this point in the story, at this exact point right here, my uh, compassion bottomed out. Yeah. Like, I am done. I have no compassion left for this person because clearly she, her priorities lie in her relationship with Tom and not in the relationship with her children. And they're very selfish, right? It's about what she wants Mm -hmm. and that's it. It has absolutely nothing to do with with anybody else and how they might feel in a situation. Yeah. Even because, I mean, she's cheating on everybody. Yeah. But in like the worst, I mean, as a parent... The worst imaginable situation mm-hmm. possible, right? That somebody has taken your children and that's what you're thinking about? Yeah. And you're hoping that this guy might come be your knight in shining armor? Yeah. That this will bring him back to you? That, oh, he'll feel sorry. Not only will he come back, but he'll feel sorry for me. It's fucking yeah. sick. I would like to punch her in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So divers descended on the John D. Lake where Susan last reported being with her kids, like physically. But the divers only went out about 100 feet out into the lake and found nothing. The FBI FBI searched Susan's house but came up with nothing. 
Investigators went to the Walmart that Susan says she shopped at, but greeters didn't remember seeing her. They also questioned her friend that she was supposed to see that night, but the friend told them that she had no such plans with Susan, that she wasn't even home that night. So they're, like, picking apart her story. Oh, the lady that she was supposed to go visit. Yes, the friend. Didn't know that she was supposed to come visit her? No. Oh. Hmm. Like, that's pretty stupid. (laughs) If you're going to create an alibi, at least let the person in on it. Little by little, police are growing more and more suspicious of Susan's story. You know those, like, true crime things where it's, like, <laughs> the eating popcorn on the couch where you're, like, left a fingerprint. Like, you stupid ass. bitch. <laughs> That's us right now. Yes. Okay, so anyways, but she does suck. She okay. sucks. So on the eighth day of the search, police confronted Susan with some cracks in her story. So she altered her story to correct those errors. She told investigators that she was at a stoplight at a certain intersection with Monarch Mills Road and that no cars had been around to act as a witness. But that particular stoplight will only turn red or green depending on the traffic. So if there were no other cars around, Susan, Susan should have had a green it light. green. Yeah. Oh my gosh, are you serious? So she changed her story to say it was actually at a stop sign. Yeah, well, you're buried now, lady. So on the ninth day of the search, Susan and David were on a major news network, um, multiple actually, in the morning, pleading their innocence and begging the community to continue searching for their kids. Susan at one point in the interview says, quote, as a mother, it's your natural instinct to protect your children. And the hardest part for me as a mother is the not knowing if your children are getting what they need to survive. Later that day, Susan went with police to a nearby rec center of a church, literally that same day. They sequestered her into a windowless room and interrogated her once again. And this time they got really serious with her. And they were like, look, your story makes no sense. You, like, here's all the cracks and we've, you know, broken it down. We know you're lying. And it was in that room around 2 p.m. on November 3rd, nine days after her boys were allegedly kidnapped during a carjacking, that Susan finally confessed to the truth. During the interrogation, Sheriff Wells told Susan he didn't believe her story, so Susan asked him to pray with her, and afterwards she started crying and began telling him how ashamed she was. She asked him for his gun so that she could kill herself, which of course he didn't give her, And then in her written confession, she said, and I just picked parts out of it because that's also online. Right. When I left my home on October 25th, I was very emotionally distraught. I felt I couldn't be a good mom anymore, but I didn't want my children to grow up without a mom. I felt I had to end our lives to protect us from all, to protect us all from any grief or harm. I had never felt so lonely and so sad in my entire life. I was in love with someone very much, but he didn't love me and never would. I had a very hard time accepting that. She goes on to say, When I was at John D. Lake, I had never felt so scared and unsure as I did then. I wanted to end my life so bad and was in my car, ready to go down that ramp into the water. And I did go partway, but I stopped. I went again and stopped. I then got out of the car and stood by the car, a nervous wreck. I dropped to the lowest when I allowed my children to go down that ramp into the water without me. And I took off running. End quote. So that was part of her confession. So. Which was still all about her. It wasn't about. Right. Like, like those babies. I mean, the, the thing that pains me about stuff like this is how scared and how frightened. Oh my gosh those children were like in their last moments right and this is why like kid cases are just they're they're awful to listen to Mm -hmm. um and it's like you can like making light of like other situations but then when it comes down to it and I think about um even like my son who's four when he has a nightmare and he's screaming for me you know in the middle of the house like how just immediately everything in my body is like how do I protect you um, and I'm, and I'm right there and it just is like, I don't even know these children. And all I think to myself when I hear stuff like this is I just wish one person would have been around yeah. to save them. Right. And then how, how cowardly it is of her to say, Oh, well, and then, you know, I was trying to kill myself and I mm-hmm. was hurting and I, you know, I was dumped and it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so drop your kids off with Nana yeah. and go have a moment. Yeah. Right. Like all of these killer moms. I feel like they have this common theme where it's like, 
instead of just like, you know, if you don't want your children, like, guess what? There are places and people who will take them. Yeah. And do a damn good job. Why do you think that they have to survive only with you? Like that they can't survive with someone else, you know, like, cause that was part of her excuse was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want them to have grief and I didn't want to live anymore, but I didn't want to leave them without a mom. Well, who's to say they wouldn't be okay with someone else? Yeah. Especially because they're also still very young. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I would at least try to give them a chance, a fighting chance with someone else than ending their own life. Like that's not. Yeah. I just, and so that whole, Mm. like situations like this and uh, Kelly and I were talking before, the only information that I had about this case before was that I knew that she had um, murdered her children from like a people's list of, you know, murdering moms or whatever. And so I didn't read any more information because I wanted to like, just react Mm -hmm. and it's just one of those situations where I think about like those babies and you covered like the Chris Watts case and I think about those little girls Mm -hmm. and I just think like to me like hurting children is like the most evil Mm -hmm. thing in the world like you are despicable just yeah 100% evil like I don't even care if you are insane, like if you are just mentally not there, like it's, it's just seen, Ugh, it just makes me sick. Like it just makes me feel like right now I don't feel good. Yeah. You know? So, um, before breaking the news, Sheriff Wells wanted to locate the bodies of the boys. And earlier I mentioned that divers swim out into the lake about a hundred feet and then they turned back. Well, the car and the boys, uh, it was found upside down about 120 feet out into the lake and like 20 feet down. Oh, my gosh. And this is kind of some difficult information. But one diver described that as he approached the car, he saw the small hand of one of the children pressed against the window. And he also said that they found the letter that Tom wrote to Susan in the front seat. An autopsy showed that the boys were still alive when they rolled into the lake and their cause of death was homicide by drowning. And the defense, or not the defense, the prosecuting prosecuting attorneys ran a test to see how long it would have taken for the water to finally reach their face. Six minutes. So six minutes from the time that the car entered the water to the time it would have gotten up to their faces was six minutes. That It gives me chills, but like the worst type of chills to think of that long they're trapped in their car seats. Like I I hate to think of like the terror. And you're so like the fear, Mm -hmm. right? And it just is, it just, it literally makes your stomach hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So during the trial, Susan's defense team relied heavily on Susan's upbringing that was littered with abuse and untreated mental illness. The prosecution, however, portrayed her as a more devious, manipulative, self-centered narcissist who was driven by her own personal desires. Her children became, in her mind, the only thing holding her back from a future with Tom. It was clear that she sought sympathy and compassion from one person and one person only, and that was Tom. While everyone else was looking for her sons, she hoped Tom was looking for her. It only took the jury two and a half hours to return a verdict of guilt to two counts of murder. Susan was spared the death sentence despite David's protests. He really wanted her to Why? go. Did he, she? Did she like? Did no she get a plea deal. Like how? Did, how did? How was that not on the table? It was, and I don't know why it was like I don't know how she got life versus death but I do know that David really wanted her to die for what happened and I can't blame him yeah I mean she should yeah this is this is one of the situations where also like the death like capital punishment I'm kind of like eh I don't know you know with people who are who are put to death who are innocent right we find out later through like DNA Mm -hmm. and then there's like stuff like this where I'm like yeah this isn't this is very very black and white yes and she I'm one of those people she, she should have just been, like, shipped to the front of the line. Yes. You, know, you get the express, express lane. lane. <laughs> yes. Like, you awful it's a, it's woman. A- so Susan was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison and will be eligible for parole in four years, in 2025, when what? she is when she's 53 years old. How did she get life with, the, with parole? I don't know. 
I literally don't know. I mean, and I'm sure that they're like David is probably going there, right? And people are going there and saying like absolutely not. Yeah. So like I hope she just stays there absolutely. forever. And David has said that he will attend every single parole hearing in order to keep yeah. her in jail. Sure. As I mean, he should. His babies. Yeah. Yes. Since her incarceration, two guards have been punished for having sex with Susan. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Are you fucking serious? She yes. murdered children. Yes. And this is the best part. Her um, promiscuity was discovered after she caught an STD from one of them. <laughs> I can't make it up. I can't make but it I up. But I mean, okay. What? Two two guards? Two different guards. And that's, the, that's only the ones we know about. There's probably more. So she's literally in prison doing the same shit that she's yeah. always done. Yep. Like getting her jollies on. I'm sure that she's going through the same emotional like turmoil and BS that she puts herself through. Like, oh, poor me. Mm-hmm. Roger, the security guard, won't talk to me anymore because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to lose his job or some crap like that because mm-hmm. she's absolutely insane. Are you serious? Yeah. And then on the other hand, like, what is wrong with those prison guards to sleep oh with somebody gosh. who's murdered their children? Who sent her kids careening into a lake. So they, into a fucking yeah, lake. Just, so how does she even have an option to like have parole when this is the behavior that she's practicing? I have no idea. I say it every episode. The justice system is so very flawed. And that's all I can say. That's all I can chalk it up to. It's just so flawed beyond measure. So in four years? Four years. In 2025, when she's 53 years old, she'll be eligible for parole. Which sucks because if she gets out, like there's still a lot of life left for her to live. I know. Right? Like she needs to just sit in there and rot. Yeah. Yeah. And her kids were only three and one and a half. Sick. So, um, yeah. So that is the story. Thank you, Ashley, so much for coming. We only got interrupted a few times. Hopefully, hopefully you can't even tell because of my editing skills. But uh, we were just saying we had really low expectations for how this was going to go. And it seemed to go actually pretty well, considering there's like a mob of children downstairs. So... Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Can, uh, well, I mean... Like, <laughs> All I things considered. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, I do love true crime for mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons, but the, uh, man, the children cases, like, they just... Yeah, they suck. Ugh. They all suck, right? They all, they all definitely suck. Um, but these ones are, like, the victims to me just seem so, so helpless. So. Yeah. Oh, and they are. Yeah, so I am, I'm glad. Thanks for letting me come. Yeah, we'll have you back for sure. Until next time, Mama Mystery out. Bye.